Turn in your Bible to uh, Genesis chapter 19. We're going to be reading in verse 23 um, as we return to our, our series on Genesis and following Abraham in his footsteps as a man of faith. We'll be praying for the, I don't know how to say this, Bakumpai people. That sounds good. Uh, in Indonesia, 171,000 people. Uh, they have no scripture translated into their own language. There is, there is no known scripture reported in their language. And so how can they hear unless someone sends a preacher? And, and even if someone sends someone, um, is the word in their language? And if not, then, then this is a, a burden for the church to provide the scripture in their language. So we're going to pray for them after we read from the scriptures. Um, the scriptures say in Genesis chapter 19, beginning in, in verse 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Uh, this is God's word. And we are going to pray and then explore the meaning of it uh, to Christians today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with a disturbing text. Uh, the, the message contained in it sounds harsh to our, year, our ears, and yet, thinking about our culture and the decay in our culture, how long will it be until perhaps the American government or some kind of lobby group or the public media will be advocating, encouraging 
perhaps even celebrating what is contained in this text. Uh, 25 years ago, 50 years ago, who could have seen where we would be today in the United States? And so we pray that, that we would not scoff and think, what is the relevance? Because you put this in your word. And so as we move through your word, we will be faithful to consider your thoughts, condemnation of sin, hope in the gospel, your goodness and kindness. Father, thinking about your mercy and love, we think of the Bakumpai people of Indonesia, 171,000 people who do not know you. We pray that you would bring your word to them and deliver them from the false way of Islam. There is no Allah. He does not exist. There is no way to follow the five pillars and to be saved. And so we pray that you would move and they would hear the name of Jesus and turn to him in faith. We pray, Father, for all who hear your word this morning that that we would embrace your way, Father, not earning your grace because of our righteousness, but acknowledging that we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. We need it from the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you've given it to us freely in the gospel. Those who repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ find a complete remedy for the sin that they've committed, for the sinful desire that lives in them in the present, for sins in the future, And ultimately, the need to be saved from our sinful bodies, given new righteous bodies. We thank you that Jesus supplies all of this to us. All we need to do is believe in the message of the gospel. We pray, Father, for ourselves. We pray that that we would believe and receive your word and that we would act upon it. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'd like to to speak. I'm going to do a a magic trick with this text this morning. Some of you are thinking, what is about to happen? Um, This text is horrifying. I will, you will, you will be amazed at what I'm going to do here. Um, So just, you'll, you'll see it. The the art of distraction uh, may, may, I I may, you know, I'm going to do something and you're going to be like, hey, that was not as scary as I thought it would be. Um, and I want to I talk about the cause of, of traditional marriage and the, the decay of culture. Uh, but, but first, I'm going to build to the point where we're going to talk about imaging Christ and the church in marriage, and that being the goal that our society ought to be working toward, but, but being separated from Christ and not acknowledging and honoring Christ in the public square uh, our culture is going to have a difficult time doing this. And that's, so that's where we're going. A number of years ago, a professor of mine held up a, uh, a picture in a systematic theology class. And it was a picture, I, I think I remember, of, of two young girls and a, and a young boy. And they were dressed in suits, you know, like uh, the boy was. And the, the girls were dressed in neat little dresses. They had their pigtails uh, done. And, and it, you know, so this picture looked a little bit out of date, you know, out of, out of fashion. And, uh, and he said, what is this? And we all kind of sat there for a second. And then and somebody in the class said, those are your kids. It's a good guess. 
And he said, no, they're not. Or he said, no, it's not, rather. He said, this is a picture of my kids. Um, we, we, we were fooled into thinking that the right answer was, those are your kids. Yes, it is an image of his kids, but, but, the, but it's not the real thing. It's a representative of the real thing. And, and the real thing in that sense is worth more. It is, it is better. It is more valuable than the thing which represents it. Does that make sense? Uh, you might have that iconic picture of your kid. I have this, this, this picture I, I said on, on Friday night that one of the favorite pictures I've ever taken is, is um, my third-born son, Max, dressed like Han Solo. And he is, it's, it's, you know, he is out there um, living it, his image of who he is. And he's got his, his, his blaster in his hand, and he's like in this running pose. And it's like this picture is just iconic in my mind of the story of that time period of his youth, right? Think, think about it. For if it was framed and sitting on the mantelpiece and the house was on fire and someone said, what will you save? Think about it. Is that picture precious in, this, in that moment? No, he is. That's right. The child is more important than the picture. And I think one of the reasons why arguments and discussions of traditional marriage in our culture, one of the reasons why, why arguments seem to fall on deaf ears is, is that it is the picture. And it is not the reality. And so the arguments tend to go astray. That we're going to build to that thought. So uh, let's look first at Lot's descent. You'll, you'll recall that Lot came out of Ur of the Chaldees with Abram, who would later be named Abraham, and, and I'm not going to uh, engage that confusion, I'm just going to call him Abraham, it's, it's much simpler. Um, Lot decided to separate from Abraham because they were, they were fighting, that was the solution that Abraham proposed. Uh, Lot then chose the land which contained the valley of Sodom, he moved toward that city, he planted his tents close to the city, he eventually moved into the city we saw. He became a ruler, a leader, an elder in that city. And in the process of compromise, of, of moving into that culture, he allowed his family to be captured by the city. And we saw in the, in the scene where the angels come and they, they tell Lot up, flee the city. We saw Lot was unable to motivate his family quickly because they, they had grown passive and complacent and, and they were far from realizing the character of God that God would do such a thing, that he would destroy a city. They thought, the scripture says, that he was joking. Lot lost, Lot, Lot lost his wife fleeing from Sodom. And we see in this text that Lot's descent leads to a place where his family's morality is fractured, destroyed. A horrible, horrifying situation. These two children were instructed by the, the end of the text, verses 37 and 38, that these two children, Ben-Ami and Moab, these are the grandfathers of the tribes who will oppose throughout Israel's history that tribe. These are the enemies of Israel. Why? Because they are founded on a morality 
which is far from God's plan for humanity. These nations are founded on shame, disobedience, and rebellion against God. Creation speaks against Lot's descent. Think about how what we see in this passage is described in the Bible as against nature. God declared in Genesis, let us make man in our image. God created man upright, the book of Ecclesiastes says, but he has pursued many schemes. Man was drawn off of his course. He, he followed the way of wickedness and fled the way of God. And so we see man created to be holy, moral, obedient, pure, and living according to God's rules. How restrictive it is to follow the rules, we think. The rules restrain us. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I generally follow the traffic rules and I enjoy driving, right? You know, it's the, the, the rules, it's like, it's like, I don't want to be in this lane anymore. Oh, is that against the rules? No, the rules are like, go ahead, go around them, but there's a way to do it. Does that make sense? We, the rules are there to keep all the riders on the road safe. The rules of, of God's way are there to keep us following God, imaging God, living in his way, not, not fencing us or boxing us into some kind of moral prison. Man abandons and walks away from God's way. And, and we see a fulfillment of man's failure in the flood and in the tower. But as we get into the present era, the era that we live in, we see this failure made full in Lot's descent, in his absolute failure. This is fulfillment of, of Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Lot knew that he was descending into sin. But he suppressed the truth in his unrighteousness. He ignored what was plain to see for the easy path or the comfortable path or the path of human respect. Verse 20 of Romans 1. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. We should rightly recoil in horror at what we see described in Genesis 19. 
But we should realize as, as the cultural anchors and the religious anchors and the, those things which hold society and people and tribes in place, as they are, they are picked up from the ocean floor and they are disconnected from the boat and thrown away, the, the boat will drift, the culture will change, the people's morality will move. What is unacceptable today or what would have been horrifying to Lot and to his children had they stayed close to the worship of the Lord became acceptable. And what is unacceptable today in our culture, given 10 or 20 years of people ignoring the glory of God and the way of God will begin to seem normal. It's interesting, I was having a discussion with, with my kids the other day about, about seeing the very first videos on MTV way back in the day, in the 1980s. Uh, video killed the radio star. Very first video ever played on MTV by the Buggles, right? Where are they now? No one cares, except maybe their moms. Um, my kids can't imagine a time when a video came on television and you had to wait three or six or ten hours or maybe ten days to see it again. They're like, there was no YouTube? Like, you couldn't just call it up and watch it again? No, no. The videos just, like, like they were broadcast out into the world and then, and then the video vanished into the ether until they chose to, like, load it up again. Now you can just... You can, you can, as they, the kids maybe say today, put it on repeat, you know, and just play that song again over and over and over again. There's no MTV anymore. I don't know that I could have imagined a day without the VJs that were back there, back then in the day when we were waiting for our videos to come on. But it's irrelevant and gone. What seemed so stable and normal is now ancient history and something new has replaced it but there's nothing truly new under the sun the bible says this has all been going on from the beginning man has been exchanging the glory of god for the glory of man which is far less glorious god gave his image and man creates other men in his own image genesis 5 1 this is the book of the generations of adam when God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. And Adam was sinful at this point, and, and the, the replication of this fallen image began because Adam ex exchanged the glory of God for his own way. He fathered a son in his own likeness after his own image. Man has been fashioning himself in his own likeness ever since. What it means to be a man or a woman created by God is different from what it means to be a man as defined by man. As time and technology progress, we're leaving behind what we were created to be, what we must be in order to fulfill the deepest desires of purpose and morality that we know in our hearts that we suppress in unrighteousness. We're leaving behind what we must be and becoming whatever we want to be. Do you know that, that, the, that the invention of the, the dishwasher 
the labor-saving device has not saved us any labor whatsoever. We have just filled the rest of our life with other things. And we are more tired now that we have all these electric lights in our house and all the conveniences and the food that can be prepped in five minutes. We are more tired than we were 50, 60, 70 years ago. Well, that's not possible. They worked a whole lot harder. Yes, but when the sun went down, they all went to sleep. Now we stay up all night and watch reruns of whatever we binge watch stuff on Netflix because there's just not enough time to consume everything that we want. And we do this when we come to God's word. We, we hear God's word and we say, no, I don't really like that. I want God to be more like this. And so we refashion and recast our faith in our own image and we worship a God of our own invention, which according to what the Bible says is called idolatry. When we see what has occurred in Lot's life, we see the descent and we see the moral wreckage of his life, we can see this same pattern repeating in our own day and age. Modern man has unraveled the meaning of purity that God built into the heart of marriage. First, by shifting away the commonly accepted definition of, of marriage and of married love in culture to romantic passion or finding a love that fulfills you. Marriage ought to be about personal fulfillment, away from marriage being an honorable institution of commitment and loyalty and the place for rearing godly children and fulfillment. Instead, we have moved romantic love and fulfillment to the beginning. And so the definition shifts. And then the pill divorces intimacy from childbearing. And now we have intimacy apart from marriage and society embraces no-fault divorce. And with all these cultural boundaries removed, we're left in a society where when someone says, but I love him or her and he or she loves me, why should we be apart? We shrug our shoulders and say, we, don't, we, we can't imagine any good arguments. Well, yeah, lo- I guess love is love, isn't it? endless compromise on the little bits of morality of saying the grass is greener over there in the valley of Sodom I'll choose that land leads you to the cave outside of Zoar no I'm smarter than that really the smartest guy in the world this is Ezra or Nehemiah's speech to to the um, to the men in Jerusalem when they come back from captivity and they begin to intermarry with the the women outside of Israel it's not the problem that they're foreign women the problem is that these foreign women have not left their foreign gods behind to become part of Israel he says he says the smartest man you can look this up in the book of Nehemiah the smartest guy in the, this is not a direct quote the smartest guy in the entire history of Israel King Solomon was not able to resist apostasy when confronted with the attractiveness of these women and their gods. And you think you're going to be able to resist it? Well, I'm just going to bend Christian morality and God's word just, just a bit. It's just, I'm just going to disobey this. I'll be fine. It never is fine. Just read through the scriptures and you will see it never ends well endless compromise on the little bits of morality that don't really matter in the eyes of our society lead us to the place where we are today. 
And what we ought to be doing as a church is not saying that's wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. What we ought to be saying is this is good and righteous and holy and pure and wonderful as created in the eyes of God. This is better, superior. This is the design. This is what fulfills. So creation speaks against Lot's descent. Jesus also speaks against Lot's descent. Some will say in all the cultural noise and, and fighting over Bible passages, they'll say, they'll say, oh, you know, this is a, you're making such a big deal out of just some, some single, small, isolated, interpreted out of context, they'll use all these fancy words, passages from Leviticus and Romans. If, you're, if, if you are tracking at all in the cultural debates, you've, you've heard this line, They'll say things like, Jesus never talked about this. Traditional marriage, what's up with that? He never said one word against it. I've heard people say that. I've seen the creative and clever graphics posted on Facebook. Jesus never uttered a single word against homosexuality. Ah, how then are we to read this passage? Mark 10, verse 2, the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. We can say unequivocally that though divorces happen in our culture, they happen due to hardness of heart. Sometimes it's just the hardness of the one and it is unavoidable. But they happen because of hardness of heart and this is not God's intent for divorce. God's intent is for loyal, pure, honorable stability in marriage. It was God's intent that the one flesh of marriage be man and woman. And it's God's intent that we fulfill his design for us. Yes, but why should I yield to God's design when it's my life and these are my desires and I feel this strongly from the center of my being. This is my identity. This is who I am. I see no one making this argument to defend acts like murder, theft, lying. Let me tell you what. When you're, when you're someone like me and and, and if you're pushed to a position of insecurity and, and you, feel, you feel trapped and the only way out is to bend the truth, you can get pretty good at it, right? You could be like, I was born this way. This is my defense mechanism. And nobody's going to be like, oh, well, in that case, lie on, young man, you know? I've repented. I have. But we don't defend morality in any other area and say, well, they were born that way. We're like, that's not a good enough excuse. Yield to God's design? Yes. Why? Because it is better, superior, pure, and fulfilling. So I want to read something in the time that I've got remaining. 
that I read probably just about a year ago at, um, at the wedding of Sam Gallagher and Brooke Johnson. Now, Brooke Gallagher. Okay, so um, this, was, this is what I said at the Gallagher wedding. Um, I'm shocked that Brian and Allie aren't here, by the way. They got married yesterday. Like, this is no excuse for missing church, is it? I told him when I met with him, I guess I met him Monday. I'm like, I don't expect you to be in church on Sunday. And he was like, well, you know, I thought I put it out there. So, so at the wedding, um, their friend, Michelle comes and reads Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for for Christ. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Scripture reading number two. Tiff McCaskill comes forward. Our own Tiff McCaskill. Who I would have had read this morning. But I'm nervous about two things. One, that I'd be totally upstaged by her reading. And second, that she would do the mic drop. Um, And so, you know. I just, I, I said, I, I said, I'm going to mention you. She said, I'm going to mention you in my announcement. So anyway, he who speaks last speaks longest, but she didn't do anything. Anyway, um, Revelation 19 verse six says this, then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So here it is, the charge to the bride and the groom for Sam Gallagher and Brooke Johnson. In describing the relationships of husbands and wives and their care for one another, the husband should love the wife as Christ loves the church. The wife should honor the husband as the church honors Christ. In describing this relationship, 
The Apostle Paul takes the conversation in a curious direction, describing how husband and wife leave other relationships and become one flesh. Paul says this mystery is profound, but he is not speaking of the indescribable wondrousness of the relationship of a husband and wife, and it is that I am not mocking it by calling it indescribable wondrousness. He's not speaking of that. Instead, he says, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let me just insert here. I believe so many are running into the house to save the picture and not the kids. We are defending an institution which our culture sees no relevance or rationale to. Now, let me just, here's the only political comment I'm going to make. I do think that those who are being surveyed and interviewed and polled are a minority. And there are many people who are just going along with it. And at some point we will hear from them. And I, I fear that. That's another sermon. You can ask me why. I will. I will. But not, not this morning. But what we are not doing what we, are, what we are failing so often, instead of, instead of mastering arguments, we speak with, with, with rhetoric and we say, no, 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 tradition. And we, we try to advance tradition and, and they see that we are on the wrong side of history. What they do not see is the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Christ and the reason to fulfill and pursue God's design. Saving the picture and not the kids. The marriage of Sam and Brooke, or the marriage of Brian and Allie yesterday, is not an end in itself. It is real and precious, but it is a symbol that points to a greater, fuller reality. The relationship between Christ the Savior and his church, the family of redeemed believers who have put their faith and trust in him. In the book of Revelation, John writes that he heard a loud voice say, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And John is celebrating the triumph of God in history, the, the progression of all events from the creation of man and woman to this event. God accomplishing his purposes summing it up in the realest wedding ceremony ever. John continues, urging men and women to rejoice in God. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. All of history builds to this event when the conquering Savior, the Lord Jesus, who saves men and women from their sins and makes them pure, comes to collect his bride. Marriage is a symbol of this relationship. Marriage is the picture. The marriage of the lamb is the kids. The Savior is glorious and precious. He gives his own life to purify his bride, his people from their sins, for they owe a debt they cannot pay. They cannot purify themselves from their sins. The perfect righteousness of the Savior is given to the undeserving sinner, while the sins and failings of the sinner are put on the Savior, who sentenced to death receives the punishment for them. The Bible says it was granted to her, the bride, the people of God, to clothe herself, themselves, with fine linen bright 
upright and pure, righteousness given by Christ. But the bride has taken care. She, they, have lived a righteous life of good deeds in response to the gracious gift given to her by her Savior. The Savior takes the lead and serves the church, and the bride, the church, receives graciously the leadership of the Savior and responds not from compulsion or humiliation, but out of gratitude. An earthly marriage, a human marriage, is a symbol of this heavenly reality. The symbol is no less important or significant because it is a symbol. One thousand one dollar bills which are worth less individually than a single $1,000 bills, together, taken as a whole, are as valuable. The, The symbol sums up what the what the parts are worth. The symbol the, the, the symbol communicates to the reality, rather. God in his wisdom designed men and women in his image and imprinted this design and picture on our hearts, allowing us to see in marriage the gospel of God's graciousness toward us. Our contemporary society cringes when they hear wives and husbands or wives submit to your husbands. Surely in this day and age... This should be viewed as outdated, ignorant, woman-hating, or just plain mistaken. Comparing the wife to the church and the husband to Jesus Christ pushes the analogy too far, many think. No woman deserves such treatment. No man deserves such power or authority. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. When the husband puts on 60 extra pounds after marriage... And he no longer needs to keep up the dating and the wooing to win a bride act. How will he use this power given to him? And yet, the exhortation to the husband reveals no agenda for dictatorship. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The role of a husband's leadership in marriage is not to dispense order or to serve himself, but to lead by serving and to serve in the manner of Christ, giving himself up, laying down his life, taking up his cross and serving his bride in order to see her grow in grace and holiness. Jesus, though he is king of heaven, is not like the chief men of the world who are served by many. Instead, the measure of his greatness is in the vast number of the persons whom he has served. Rather than serving the self and taking what we want and calling that love, the call of the husband is to set the tone in living a life of selfless love. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his own body. This kind of leadership, the kind of leadership that serves and gives and loves endlessly, evokes the kind of response that is called for here. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
the husband who lives to serve his wife's spiritual needs and who cares for her gently and intentionally will find that his wife desires and delights in empowering his leadership. Wise wife knows husband long enough to know and to not be fooled into thinking that he is Jesus. No wife thinks that about her husband. Instead, they should identify the fact that while they are both sinners, they have a role to play in in creating order and fulfilling the design that God has created for them in the light of the fact that they are fallen sinners. No man or woman can live out the commands given to them for marriage perfectly this side of heaven. But to embrace a servant's heart and to lead, living out these commands with joy and from a heart of gratitude out of reverence for Christ is living out the gospel in your daily life. When people see your marriage gathered married folks here today, when when people see the two of you delighting in one another, enjoying each other's presence and conversation, honoring one another, forgiving one another, serving one another, they will see a picture of the gospel, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. And they cannot see that in any other form of expression of anything that is contained properly within marriage. There is no such thing as another form of marriage than traditional marriage because the picture does not display that. It cannot ever A picture of the gospel, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. She lives because he died taking her sins upon himself. She delights in his leadership. The church responds to it with joy and holiness. The world has seen enough of crumbling, empty, self-centered institutions. And so my encouragement to all of us here today is to walk out these commands of God in a way that pleases him. Married folks should live them out together throughout their years, serving the Lord with gladness, serving each other out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Single folks ought to conduct themselves with wisdom and purity, working toward that day when perhaps they too will move from from symbolizing Christ in his earthly life, submitted to God, waiting for his leadership and his guidance, waiting for the Father to bring the bride to him, to that day when they symbolize the eternal reality of Christ and his church. We ought to serve the Lord with gladness. The marriage of godly Christian people ought to cause people to say, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. The church ought to be made up of people who see God reigning in the hearts of those who claim to follow him. And we will see that in godly marriages. Marriage is a high and noble calling. It is a joyful and wonderful and sometimes confusing business. But when we live out the marriage covenant as God has designed it, we point to a greater and eternal covenant between the living God and his redeemed people. This is marriage. 
This is the union and beauty and glory which God designed. Sinful men and women, and that includes all people everywhere in the world, cannot improve on it or change it no matter what pressure they are under. And so resist the urge in your mind to follow the spirit of the world and to say, if we just adjust this one thing, it it will be better or more fair or more just in society. No, understand that Lot's descent began with just a, a minor compromise and instead understand that God calls his people out to something better. Rescue the kids and not picture. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to to be here this morning. I pray that though we live in the the time of of transition in culture, that, that we would not be those who transitioned away from your word and away from your will in a time of cultural pressure. I pray that we would see marriage as directly connected to the gospel. That that we would see marriage as something to be protected, honored, celebrated. May we, who have been people of our culture, Lord, We are all sinners. We sin in various ways. May we not look unkindly on any specific group of sinners and say they are worse than us. Instead, may we say, let's all move toward the light. Let's all move towards the image of God, which God showed us in Christ. May we all be remade in his image. May we all live in the way in which God has planned. May we all come to Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and see him as our righteousness. And may we be humble as we do it. Father, we pray that we would live in a way that honors you. That we would lift you up as our highest value and our greatest joy. May we live out your commission for our lives. And may we not give ground on your word when it speaks clearly. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's sing this closing song together.